0: Thank you, Dan and choir and instrumentalist for lovely worship today. Turn your Bibles. We continue our sermon series from Matthew's Gospel. We find ourselves today in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, beginning reading in verse 57. Matthew 26:57 And those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas the high priest where the scribes and the elders were gathered together But Peter also was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest and entered in and sat down with the officers to see the outcome Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain a false testimony against Jesus in order that they might put him to death. They did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward, but later on two came forward and said, this man stated, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said to him, Do you make no answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you shall see the Son of Man coming, and the clouds sitting at the right hand of power. Behind him were his sermons, ahead, his suffering. Behind him were his parables, and ahead, his passion. Behind him were his suppers of fellowship, ahead his last supper of betrayal. Behind him were the delights of Galilee, ahead dark Gethsemane. Prophecy was about to become practice. Jesus and his entourage arrive at the city, which is both his destination and his destiny. As he approaches the city, branches were thrown down on the road in front of him. And while some were so, so caught up that they used their coats and their cloaks, it was kind of a, a poor man's red carpet treatment, a, a homemade ticker tape parade. They shouted together, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. There were those pulling for him there. But there were also those pulling against him, Pharisees. They heard the shouts. They were appalled at the blasphemy of it. This ragged man, the Messiah, they ran out into the road and told him he'd better shut his friends up before it was too late. But Jesus replies, I tell you, if these are silent, the very stones Will cry out. The entry of Jesus into Jerusalem is the start of his last week. As we watch him ride into the city, as we've watched him do this countless times before, it's like watching a famous tragedy acted out on stage for the hundredth time, and yet hoping against hope that this time maybe the impossible will happen and things somehow will go right in the end instead of wrong. That Juliet will wake up from her drug sleep before her young lover kills himself. That Cordelia will come alive in the old king's arms so his art won't have to break after all, as Jesus rides a cold into the city, we hope against hope that everybody will recognize him for who he is, not just a handful of followers with their palm branches, but the Pharisees too, and maybe this year the Sanhedrin, and the the high priest, and, and maybe even Pilate. What if this time Pilate falls to his knees before him, and all through the city, the Romans and the Jews, and the rich and the beggars, and the saints and the thieves, and the old and young all embrace each other and declare him to be the Messiah. Maybe this time Judas will be loyal. Maybe this time Peter will be brave and the cross won't have to happen. We hope about what might have been and what someday will be, but there are mixed emotions in the crowd of Hosannas, as the rocks themselves prepare to cry out. There is a way in which the blurred hope and is shattered with sadness because sadness and triumph are both part of that parade like the dust in the air. You picture heroic parades where the esteem lift their hands as they ride in waving to the crowd, but there's, there's none of that here. Is there? Jesus is not nodding and smiling and and waving his arms. On the contrary, he is silent. He only speaks to the Pharisees when they speak to him. He sees Jerusalem and there's a sadness in his heart. He comes around the bend of the road and reaches the top of the hill, and there it is all at once the ancient city, the walls. The domes shimmering in the spring sun, and Jesus, we're told, weeps. Mixed emotions, despair, and hope, they travel together on that road to Jerusalem. And after the triumphal entry and the hosannas have died down, there's the cleansing of a temple. There's a parable or two or three. There's the Lord's Supper foreshadowing all the events to come. There's the agony of Gethsemane, the kiss of Judas. Judas kisses and Jesus bound and 600 Roman soldiers march. It was late and there were no idle saunters in the streets of Jerusalem. The tramp and the stamp of the Roman guard must have been it's too often heard for anyone to really ask questions. Why the torchlights? Why the soldiers tonight? Much like hearing the police siren in New York, you get where you just don't ask anymore. The prisoner Jesus is now guarded by both Roman soldiers and servants of the high priest. There are six stages to the trial. The first one happens, Jesus is taken to Annas. Number one, to Annas. Though he was not officially the high priest at the time, if his sons, five of them, a son-in-law and a grandson, were all puppets when they had the position of high priest, then Annas was the puppeteer. He still enjoyed the power. If he couldn't enjoy the official status of high priest, he still could make the decisions. Annas's family was sure to have profited off those exchange tables that Jesus himself had just overturned shortly before his arrest because he would not allow them to make his father's house a center of profit. Only John's gospel speaks of this first interrogation before Annas he asks a question, What are you teaching? Who exactly are your disciples? Jesus responds, I have spoken openly in the world. I've taught the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together, ask them, If you want to know what I'm teaching, slap. Is that any way to answer the high priest? Annas, number two, sends him to Caiaphas, the official high priest, hands-bound. What a contrast it seemed between the purification of the temple only a few days before when Jesus was overturning the tables of the high priest, and now he stood hands-bound in front of the priest. Before Caiaphas, it's, it's hard to get any witnesses to say anything Very much about Jesus. I heard him say he was able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Well, I heard him say another one joined in. I'll destroy this temple with hands and then I'll build another temple without hands. Well, said Caiaphas, looking the Son of God eye to eye. What is your defense? These charges against you and the temple. Look at verse 63. But Jesus kept silent. But Jesus kept silent. All the false accusations in the air. He had said none of those things. Not exactly like that. But he says nothing. Silence seems in some ways to permeate this account. You think about it. Well, the accusers have their witnesses. When it comes to the defense, there's not a single witness that speaks for him. Remember, all the disciples by now have left him and fled. What about God? Why doesn't God speak up? He spoke at the baptism, one word from God, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And it's over. But God, too, is silent on this occasion. And Jesus joins the silence and makes no defense. What he had said was when his body was destroyed, the temple of God did He would be resurrected in three days. That's all he had said. Despite the witnesses contorting his words and twisting what he had said and claiming that he had spoken words which, in fact, he had never, ever spoken, he himself utters nothing. Maybe it was in grade school. Maybe it was more recently. Someone accuses you, and you know you're completely innocent. My, how the defending darts began to spew forth with the slightest provocation. I did no such thing. I did not say that. We respond, but not Jesus. Hadn't the prophet Isaiah said so long ago in Isaiah 53? He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that was led to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. One thing remained. Jesus knew it as well as Caiaphas. It was to put the question which Jesus could not refuse to answer this question. And and once answered, it would either lead to his acknowledgement or his condemnation. It was a question that had loomed large over Jesus from the beginning. And, well, the dialogue could no longer be delayed. Jesus could no longer escape the question by escaping the crowd. The question was there, it filled the room. Does this rabbi think he's the Messiah? The anointed one, the holy one of Israel, the one upon whom the ages are hinged. Caiaphas can disguise it no longer. Though by law, he shouldn't be able to make a man testify against himself. And the witnesses, the other witnesses, have been too weak and contradictory to condemn Jesus of anything. But he asked, I adjure you by the living God. Are you the Christ? Are you the Son of God? The silence... From the asking of the question to the answering of the question must seem like an eternity. Here it is. This is everything. Jesus stands straight face without flare, without a new emotion. You have said it yourself. Nonetheless, I tell you, Hereafter, you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Jesus, at that moment, claimed to be the Son of God, the Anointed One, the Christ. There was no mistaking his claim. He was speaking in the exalted terms of the Son of Man from Daniel. It was too much. Do we need any more witnesses? Caiaphas declares. He ripped his clothes asunder. No more secret Messiah. No more cryptic disguise. Jesus had spoken plainly in front of all the witnesses. This rabbi has just claimed to be the very son of God. They all heard it that day. The law said when blasphemy like that was to occur... The garment should be rent and the blasphemer should be executed. Leviticus twenty four sixteen: that one who blasphemes like that should be put to death, should be stoned. But the Jews, being under the oppression, they could not conduct a capital punishment campaign themselves without the help of the Romans. And did not stop the pronouncement. However, they all began to shout out together that he is deserving of death. Look at verse 66. What do you think? And they answered, he is deserving of death, they replied. They could not wait for their bloodthirstiness to be satisfied. They began to slap him and and punch him, spitting on his face. Night passes. The third phase Of the trial. Look at 27, verse 1. Now, when morning had come, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. They were tipping their hat at the law, which said they must meet during the daylight. When the council assembled again, they asked the question If you're the Christ, tell us. Jesus responds, if I tell you, you will not believe, and if I ask you a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Are you then telling us that you are the Son of God? Luke's gospel, I am, he replies. Oh, if you've ever had any doubt, that Jesus claimed to be Messiah, you can just tuck that doubt away. You can say he's wrong. You can say he's crazy. You can say he meant well, but he was misled. But you cannot say that he never claimed to be the Son of God. I am, he said. Why, even use that language of Daniel, that prophetic language, to say he was the Son of Man who comes in the clouds of heaven. The fourth phase of the trial. Arriving at the paved courtyard outside the fortress of Antonia, he comes to the phase before Pilate, the Roman governor. He came out to hear the charges from the Jews against this rabble rouser. What charges do you bring against this man? Pilate asked gruffly. If he were not a criminal, they say sarcastically, we wouldn't have brought him to you. Then they trump up some spurious political charges because to tell Rome that he claimed to be the Jewish Messiah would have carried no weight. They needed some political charges, some charges that would be offensive to Rome and to the emperor. Why, he claims to be a new king. That would be threatening to Rome. He said, we don't have to pay our taxes. They begin to trump up the political charges, changing the accusations against Jesus. He's misleading the nation all political in tone and not a one of them true. In fact, Jesus had said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. He never told them not to pay their tags. Pilate tries to discern the nature of the man before him. He can find no law that Jesus was actually broken. And Pilate learns the fifth phase of the trial that Herod happens to be in town He sends Jesus over to Herod. This is only recorded in one gospel, and therefore, he hopes Herod will give a second voice in regard to the innocence of Jesus. And these are not good men trying to do the right thing. They just can't see any law that he has broken. Now, Herod is so excited to meet Jesus. He had heard about all the magic tricks of the Messiah, and he wanted to see Jesus give some sight to the blind or, or turn some water into wine. I've heard all these things he can do. I want to see it for myself. This is my chance, thinks Herod. And so he asked Jesus question after question after question after question. And every time Jesus is silent. He doesn't feel obligated to tell Herod anything. He'd already said what he needed to say to Pilate, and by giving up, Herod makes a mockery of him, putting a gorgeous robe of purple on his back and sends him back to Pilate for the sixth and final stage, now before Pilate and before the crowd of the people. There's an angry stirring in the mob, and Pilate begins to ponder perhaps these Religious authorities are not representing the wishes of the people, so he raises his hand to hush the crowd. It is my custom to release to you at the Passover every year a prisoner. Do you want me to release to you this, this king of the Jews? Before he can sway the crowd, the religious leaders begin to shout, no Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Know not him. Give us Barabbas. Somewhere in the middle of the night, she woke up with a sweaty forehead. Bed was hot with the heat of anxiety, and and she had had, had a, a nightmare, a terrible nightmare about this Jewish rabbi, and so she goes to her husband Pilate, and she says. Have have nothing, have nothing to do with his death. Do not play a part in this. He kept me up all night. I don't even know the man. Something's not right here, Pilate. Have nothing to do with his death. Don't be a part of this. It's not good. It is not good. It was a horrible nightmare, Pilate. Have nothing to do with the death of this righteous. She uses the word righteous man. By the way, do you know who else is called righteous in Matthew's gospel? We kind of end where we began. At the beginning of Matthew, we have the story of Christmas from Joseph's perspective. And do you remember that passive passage? He finds out that his fiance is expecting. He obviously knows he's not the father. And Matthew writes, and Joseph being a righteous man is willing to put her away, to divorce her privately, not to cover his shame by causing her shame. And Joseph, being a righteous man, have nothing to do with the death of this righteous man, she says. Pilate doesn't know what to do. He's caught between his wife's nightmare and an unruly crowd. And if the crowd causes a riot, he'll lose his position, his influence, his job, his fame. He really hated being manipulated by the religious leaders. He generally thought Jesus innocent. Maybe if I have him beat up, maybe if I have him scourged, maybe if I satisfy their bloodthirstiness. And so Jesus is bound to two posts and two men take turns, his back, his legs, his buttocks, they are are beaten, ripped flesh. The soldiers began to make mockery and take a thorn of, of crowns and press it down on his brow as of a mockery to go with a purple robe. And, and then they get him a reed, a scepter, and then they slap him with his own royal rod, so to speak. and. Pilate brings him out again in hopes that the crowd will now finally be satisfied. The man has done nothing. Here he is, the king of the Jews, and he thinks it'll be over. And they begin to shout, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate continues his quiet debate with the religious leaders until they play that trump card. If you release this man, you're no friend of Caesar's. That's all they had to say. If you let this guy go, who's claiming to be a king, then you're no real ally to the true Caesar, the true king that you serve. Rome had no patience for those who wanted to share the throne with Caesar. Pilate goes over to the basin of water, nervously washes his hands, and keeps saying, you do what you want to do, but I'm telling you right now, I have nothing to do with his death. Now, Pilate's not a good guy. He'd murder somebody in a moment. But he's haunted by Jesus. Jesus stood that day before Annas, before Caiaphas, before Pilate, before Herod, before the mob of the people and claimed by his presence and by his words to be the Son of God. Pilate didn't know what to think. Herod hoped for nothing but a magic trick. The religious authorities thought he was Guilty of blasphemy in the highest degree. And he, he was, if he was not the Christ. If he were truly the Son of God, then that was blasphemy. Pilate, Herod, the high priest, the Sanhedrin, the mob, everyone had to make a decision. An individual decision. Who is this man? I know what they decided. That was 2,000 years ago. Now, the only thing that matters this morning, as Jesus once again claims to be, are you the Son of God? Is that what you're saying? I am. What do you think? What do you yourself decide? in regard to the identity of this Jewish rabbi from Galilee named Jesus, who recruited some fishermen to be his disciples, who turned water into wine and caused the blind to see, the lame to leap, who multiplied the bread and said, Repent. The kingdom of God is here. You couldn't decide for Pilate. We decided differently. We couldn't decide for Herod. We couldn't decide for Annas or Caiaphas or the Sanhedrin. The only person for whom you can decide is you. And of all the questions that will ever be posed to you, this morning you receive the ultimate question, and really, for eternity's sake, the only question that makes any difference about anything in your life, is He the Christ? Is He really the Son of God? This Bethlehem babe that we've come to celebrate all day today with multiple worship services, what's it all about? Is it true? Is He the Son of God? He is. The empty tomb says that he is. Repent, he preaches. With the presence of Jesus, we have the presence of the kingdom. Let's pray. Oh God, perhaps there's someone listening on television for whom this is her day, this is his day to make the proclamation, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You have died for my sins, you've resurrected from the dead, and I will follow you. Perhaps there's some watching by way of television, and this is his moment or her moment to say, Christmas will be different this year. The Bethlehem baby arrives, and he arrives not only in Bethlehem, but he is born in my heart as well. Maybe there are others who are called to be a part of this family of faith that will always preach the uncompromised message of the gospel, always uttering in song and sermon, Jesus is Lord. The only words that matter. And in his name we pray. Amen.